This podcast contains potentially sensitive topics, including strong language and conditions of human suffering. Listener discretion is advised. There is also a passing reference to suicide. If you yourself are struggling with suicidal thoughts, we want you to know you're not alone. Dial or SMS 988 if you need to speak to someone. I'm just confused and I want to be mad, but I'm just more like sad than anything else. And me going up and screaming at people and telling them how idiotic they are about their choices, it's not going to do anything but put me in jail. I understand that, so I'm not really trying to do that. But I, I wish I could look at the person who's in charge of this and ask them what, like, what was your end goal? Like, what, why, why are you doing this? What, what are you, what are you hoping to accomplish? How does this make you feel like you've done something good? If you came here and you saw all the hopelessness and the sorrow on people's face, if that person actually had to see. I'm Rex Holbein, and in this episode of You Know Me Now, we'll be discussing the controversial government policy of sweeps. If you're not familiar with the term, a sweep is the forced disbanding of a homeless encampment on public property. The act of sweeping is typically performed by a combination of police, tow trucks, dumpster trucks, and any other needed government agency to accomplish the task. For example, when parks are involved, often the Parks Department is included. During a sweep, all individuals, regardless of their circumstance or condition, along with all of their personal property, are removed from the area. Now this sounds fairly straightforward. Government removing people and belongings from locations where laws have made it illegal to reside. Sweeps are often set into motion when individuals in business and residential neighborhoods complain that the laws are not being enforced. In short, homed individuals reach a tipping point and want something done. This seems reasonable. I think everyone can sympathize with those that have been impacted by a homeless encampment, either near their business, out front of their home, or in the park that they enjoy. It is clearly unfair that the impact of homelessness should be felt by a few when it is, in fact, a larger community issue and responsibility. However, sweeps as a solution have not proven to be an answer to or even a path towards addressing homelessness. Yes, they provide immediate relief to those being impacted, but the issue itself is not being resolved by sweeping, only swept to a new location where another neighborhood is then impacted. There is an abundance of information around homelessness, and this includes information about sweeps. Most of it comes in the form of collected data around programs, policies, services, resources, and, oh yes, budgets. What gets missed in all of the data is the human being being swept. Nobody is measuring increased levels of trauma or how many steps back are taken in what is already a difficult path to move forward on for those struggling with homelessness. It is absolutely accurate to say 
Sweeps are conducted to benefit the homed, not the homeless. In a situation where people are illegally living on public land, why should our policies and programs be structured to benefit them? What's wrong with sweeps just benefiting those living legally? To quote many folks living outside, when told by the police or the parks department or even groups of citizens to just move along, they often answer with, move along to where? One of the fundamental flaws with sweeps is that there is no safe place to be swept to. All the land is spoken for. When housing is offered, often it ends up being unavailable or unsuitable to that person's real needs. It is also important to remember that each person living on the street has a profound and true story of why they are there. Nobody just chooses homelessness. Often, beginning very early in childhood, some form of trauma is experienced, knocking them off their life path. While most of us move forward on our journey, working to fulfill our hopes and dreams, those who have been traumatized spend a great deal of time just getting back to the start line, just trying to survive. For this reason alone, we owe it to those struggling on our streets. If we're going to address homelessness in a meaningful way, our programs need to also fit the needs of the homeless, not just the homed. Our actions must be thoughtful and sensitive to not only do no harm, but to also actively provide paths forward. This begins by listening to those living on our streets. In this episode, you'll hear from people who have recent first-hand experience of what it's like to be swept. Also, we talk to a few very passionate folks from Stop the Sweep Seattle, a mutual aid group who advocate for services over sweeps. Okay, so talking to Lily, and tell us where we're at and what's going on. We are at the Stoneway Encampment uh, right next to Aurora. 125th. 125th. And what's going on? What's going on is there is an incredibly improper use of funds because the city has decided to sweep um, an area where there is a homeless encampment and it's out of the public's way. There's no houses back here. We're not in anybody's driveway. We're not on the streets. Um, behind the wrecking yard. It's behind the wrecking yard. And, and we're not bothering anybody. So I'm not really sure why they decided to upheave everybody's life. But, I mean, it's, it's already hard enough as it is. Being unhoused and then having to deal with being uprooted, you know, every few days is extremely mentally detrimental. I mean, it, it's, it makes, it makes things that are hard even harder. On a sunny August day, I find myself standing next to Lily on a skinny strip of land running north and south, about three blocks long and 50 feet wide. To the west is a chain link fence with a wrecking yard and golf driving range behind, and to the east is a green hillside buffer with a mobile home park located above it. We are in North Seattle, just off Highway 99, and it is dusty and hot. Lily 
is absolutely frantic. The whole scene uh, before us is chaotic. Our conversation is interrupted nearly every other sentence as Lily yells out to friends, checking in if they're okay or asking what they need. People are desperately working on their vehicles, trying to get them started. In fact, Lily and I at one point simultaneously moved to the back of a car to help push it onto a trailer as the guy there struggles to keep it from rolling backwards. Looking around, it's obvious that the police have a very heavy presence. I'm guessing in total maybe 40, 50 officers are there. Most of them are just standing and watching the chaos. And I'm wondering, what are they thinking when they see all the upheaval of these lives? I'm assuming it must be difficult for them. Some officers are informing folks to come out of the RVs or tents, letting them know how much time they have left. A few others are directing traffic as people use tow ropes to pull out non-running vehicles. Tow trucks with flashing lights are towing derelict cars and RVs through a narrow dirt road that runs all through this piece of land. There is a real sense of desperation as people try to salvage what they can of their belongings. City workers are breaking down the makeshift structures, throwing everything into piles that will then be put into the back of dump trucks and taken away. A distraught man on a bike goes by. He has a backpack on undoubtedly containing all of his personal belongings. Here and there are housed folks who belong to mutual aid groups and nonprofits. Some are talking to campers, bringing them coffee and snacks, and trying to figure out how they can help. I've seen this so many times uh, and know that there's not much help that can be given at this point other than emotional care for those that you can connect with throughout all this chaos. One of the residents of this camp named Cuba planted a beautiful flower and vegetable garden along the hillside that will undoubtedly also be torn up. In the grand scheme of things, it was a small garden, but for this community, it was a big, big deal. I try not to get sucked in emotionally. I have to tell you, it's hard. All these people being uprooted will have a very difficult time in the coming weeks. There is a deep sense of loss. A good many people had created a community here, one that provided connection and safety, one where people were moving forward with their lives. Now it was being disrupted and dismantled. Coming back from visiting Cuba's garden, I find Lily again. She is leaning up against one of the abandoned cars, visibly shaken and upset. Unfortunately, they decided that it was necessary to basically just fuck everything up for everybody. And it's crazy because, you know, I'm not even a politician. I'm not a uh, accountant. I don't, I don't deal with uh, distributing funds for the state or the city, but I know that it's frankly idiotic to have to pay this many police officers for their time, uh, all, all the, the toes that they're going to have to pay for, um, all the cleanup. When people are just going to take all of the, let's see, air quote, mess, and all of the uh, air quote, uh, what would you call it, uh, miscreant behavior, 
and we're going to take it away from where it's not bothering anybody, not on anybody's, you know, sidewalk where their kids are trying to play. Um, and you're going to move it in front of, you know, somebody's house. It's not accomplishing anything other than setting everybody back again, is what you're saying. Uh, it's not just, you know, two steps forward, three steps, steps back. This is more like ten steps back, one step forward. Oh, wait, this is not even a step forward. This is just costing money, causing trauma, costing money, and not doing a damn thing to help anybody. Well, at the minimum, there's all of the cause and effect, right? You push mm -hmm. this many people out of this location, where are all these people going to go? And under another level of stress. I don't see any housing out here, do you? Do you see any housing? <laughs> Was any housing offered to, no. the, to, to people here? No, Nobody and when up. they swept behind Lowe's, you want to know how many people got housing? Two people. Mm, out of? Mm, 50. Taking the messes that unhoused people like they don't if they don't have a place to put things they're gonna put them outside their rv it's gonna make a mess so they're gonna clean up that mess they're gonna have a bunch of calls there's people there's garbage they're loud yada yada i can't sleep oh my god ah and there's gonna be just like i said there's gonna be a bunch of hysterical people over loud music at night and they could have just left us back here congratulations how many people are out here do you think in this in this village um, they said it was 25, but that's incorrect. There's about 100 people back here. So there's going to be 100 people that are sitting in front of your house doing a bunch of things that you do not want to see. You don't want to see people working on their cars at 3 o'clock in the morning, using power tools, uh, being loud, playing music. We're a lot of night owls. And, um, well, all you early birds are going to turn into some permanently exhausted pigeons because you're not going to get any sleep. What, what do you think is going to happen to all these hundred people now? Where are they going to go? Do they even know? Uh, they don't know, but they are going to be in front of the community's, uh, like I said, doorstep. Yeah. It's going to there's going to be a lot of police calls. There's going to be a lot of upset. There's going to be a lot of moms and dads that are furious because they're not getting sleep. Um there's going to be uh, a lot of wasted uh police resources and city resources. And and when they could have just used it for housing, they're just like I said they're just being ignorant. And the the power the power play that they think that they're doing is really 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 Ignorant, arrogant. Why there, do you, there's, there's not enough words that I could use. Yeah. Why do you think this village was targeted? I mean, really, it is out of sight. Out of, you know, it, it's not the typical uh, spot that, that you might have a host of residential neighbors or businesses calling. Why do you think this, this village was targeted this time? Because they can. They, they don't like people that are unconventionally housed when, when you are unhoused you have really a target on your back where people treat you with disdain they belittle you and view you as less than when uh, I'm sorry to burst uh, some people's bubbles but if you lost your parents um, and you live and, and you live at your parents house and your parents weren't uh, paying the mortgage and you just happen to have a room there 
You're not quite as independent as you think, honey. You can end up in the same position as a lot of people out here. The amount of people that are living with family is incredibly high. So there's a lot of people that could end up in the same boat a lot sooner. Um, people on the edge. Yeah, than, than they would like to admit. You mentioned unconventional housing. Do, do you think, and I have had this thought often myself, do you think that the city needs to do a much better job of allowing for unconventional housing, like alternative forms, because we all are so different? You mentioned a lot of you are night owls, you know. Mm -hmm. Is Do you think that the city should have a fabric of housing that accommodates, you know, villages like this and co-housing and tents and villages and small structures and RVs? You think we should be a city, a fabric of, of many types of housing to meet all the different needs of people? Yes, and until the higher-ups and the people in charge of things just accept the fact that there's just some people who are a little different. There's some people that have had trauma and experiences in their childhood that was so damaging that they they just can't conform to society's little square of what's supposed to be considered normal. So basically what people are doing right now is they've got a certain amount of time mm -hmm. before basically the police and the tow agencies are just going to pull everything out of here. Yep. What's the what's the mood of of people? Like what are they are they angry? Are they just in work mode? Are they hurt? Are, are some people gone and gonna come find come back and find their stuff gone? What's what's I going mean, on? Everybody with... everybody is is a, a combination. Nobody has time to be angry. Everybody's really just dazed, confused, and hopeless, kind of. Because people people are, are walking by on on a bicycle with nothing but their backpack and and a broken heart, really. There's a lot of people that put in hundreds of of hours making what little they have a home and it's being taken away from them. There's a lot of built structures here. Yeah, there's a lot, like a lot of places where they, they have regular uh, two by four structures that have been, you know, covered with plywood. They Their floors are hardwood floors with carpet. Um, they have locking doors. They have air conditioning. They have heaters. I mean, like these these are actual like tiny homes that people have built. I mean, there's there's fruit and vegetable gardens that were that were built, and they're just gonna tear it all up and throw it away. Was this village visited by services? Did were there like did Reach and other nonprofits come out here and try to provide services? Um, the only thing that really okay, so the the medical van came one time in the year that I I've been around here. One time in a year. Yeah. Um, that's the interval. <laughs> that's crazy. Once a year. It's crazy. You know, if they if they came every every. They don't even have to come every month. Every, like, two, three months, that would be a lot better, you know? Do you think, out of curiosity, my wife's a nurse, do you think Do you think if there was a group of, a handful of nurses that went from from village to village, that would be helpful? I mean, Absolutely. Do, do people need that type of 
They like, do. They do because there's a lot of people. Um, we're, we're talking about people that are, um, they're struggling to get by. So there is, you know, run-ins here and there with the law. And so they are afraid to go to hospitals. And so they're not getting the care that they need. And when somebody is afraid to go to the hospital, uh, like there's, this is so gross, but like some people have like infections, like staph infection, and they, they get like sores and then, you know, they'll, they'll give it to other people. Like I had to go to the doctor, you know, two, three times because I, I was helping people and, you know, I got, I got infections that had to be treated with antibiotics because I was helping someone else and I have the you know wherewithal and ability to go to the the hospital but I guess some people don't yeah did the did the village function as a community where there did people get along did they help each other absolutely absolutely like it, it did take a while but it got to it got to a atmosphere where you know how how there's the typical oh go to the neighbors and borrow a cup of sugar and you know that some, was a normal great thing. Poupon. <laughs> that I mean it really happened and it happened every day. We talked to our neighbors every day. Were there troublemakers? Of course. There always are. Always. But the community was dealing with that. Honestly, there was sometimes love hate relationship, but there was more love than anything else. And when people needed help, people came together as a community. And you don't see that. You don't see that in the in regular society. People walk by their neighbors with their nose in the air and and, and acted like really nobody matters, like they don't exist. People stop being people. It's a if you have currency then you're accepted. But if you don't, then you're less than garbage. And it's disgusting. And what about the rest of the people living here? It, what what percentage do you think work at this job or that job, whatever? Um, so there's a lot of, of people that are, are self-employed. Like uh, there's there's a few people where they have, you know, a truck, so they do the pallet business where they pick up pallets and, you know, they get like seven bucks a pallet or something. So a hundred pallets is $700. So they'll do that. And, uh, that's actually not bad. And then, um, there's people where, you know, like I said, every, a lot, a lot more people than you would, would think actually have trades as electric or electricians or mechanics or carpentry. So, you know, people just do what they would normally do on a different schedule. Um, so they're just constantly looking for side jobs, mm -hmm. labor, labor ready and yep. things like that. There's girls out here who are pregnant, busting their ass on Aurora, just trying to make it work. And yeah, there's a lot of addiction, but addiction is generally because people are self-medicating from trauma that they don't want to face. Shit, my dad committed suicide August 27th. It's going to be two years, and I still 
Like, I never did opiates before for 27 years, and now, like, I told myself I would never, but now I just almost don't care. Do people in a village such as this, most of which, as you're saying, are suffering from some form of trauma, do they do, do, they do a reasonably good job of being there for each other, or are people so consumed by their own trauma that it's difficult to do that? Absolutely not. They're absolutely there for their neighbors. Somebody's sick, somebody helps them. Somebody needs food, they give them food. Somebody needs water, they give them water. What about emotional support? Do they have the bandwidth for that? Absolutely. Absolutely, they do, they will, they have, and they will in the future. If I, if I am walking by and I'm, I'm struggling with something internally, I'll literally have five or six people stop me and say, hey, are you okay? Do you want to talk? I'm here for you. Do you need anything? And no, no, if, if, I, if I lived over, you know, when I lived over at, at 2000 Alaskan Way on the waterfront, it was, it was almost a million dollar condo. I didn't have one person stop and ask, hello, are you okay? How are you doing? Never. Your words sure resonate with me. I mean, it's like you're speaking a deep truth. And I don't know that our society is even close to wanting to hear that at this point. You that know, that would so mean that that would mean that someone would have to stop and think okay uh it, instead of just focusing on making sure that i have excess that i make sure that my neighbors have essentials people don't want to do that they'd rather have a hundred extra things that they don't ever use than help somebody and it's disgusting me as a person, like, I can look at myself in the mirror and I'm actually proud of the person that I am. Yes, I have issues. Yes, there's things that I need to work on, but I am working on them. But I know that I am one of the best people that I know. And that I love the person that I am. And I'm, pr like I said, I'm proud of me. I don't, I don't really know if there's a lot of people that can genuinely be honest with themselves and say that. I think you're right. Like, karmatically, how are you doing? Do you think that if the whole, you know, pearly gates or whatever, heaven and hell, I don't know about all that, but, like, I know that if if there is such a thing, I know I'm good. I've made a few mistakes here and there. I'm human. It'd be ridiculous to say that I haven't, but I know without a doubt I've done more good than bad. You know where your heart is. Yeah. It's 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 cruel to just uproot people. People that have had such extensive trauma that they can't function normally and then tear away any sense of security that they had it's like they're trying to make people commit suicide they're trying to make people just crazier than they've ever been when i asked lily what she is going to do next, 
where she's going to go, she tells me her boyfriend's mom just died. For now, they're going to be living in her mobile home. Another person I would like for you to meet and listen to is Danae. When I first met her seven years ago, she was cruising down University Avenue in the U District on her skateboard with a sketchbook. She was just 19 years old, full of ideas. You wouldn't know it back then, but she was homeless. It hadn't visibly, physically taken from her yet. Two years ago, when I met with her at her RV in the Soto neighborhood, she was very ill from multiple infections and failing health due to heavy drug use. She couldn't even get up to walk. When I left her that day, I emotionally said goodbye to a friend I didn't think I would see again. Since then, though, Danae got herself off heroin through the methadone program, and recently, and unbelievably, she now has also quit taking methadone. She is totally drug-free. Her body has rewarded her by continually getting healthier and healthier. When we talked for this recording, she was all excited for a job interview she had at the end of the week. You could feel the belief she was finding in herself in pulling herself up and out of homelessness. Sweeps come in like hurricanes. Everything not nailed down and secured is wiped away, gone. People living homeless spend every day preparing for that hurricane, worrying about keeping their head above water, never getting to the point of nailing things down. Regardless of the steps taken forward, the sweeps knock them back to a place of despair. Danae was caught up in the same sweep as Lily. In fact, over the last few months, she has been in a series of rapid-fire sweeps that have set her back significantly on her journey out of homelessness. Yeah, since we talked last, a lot has happened. Yeah, yeah, a lot has. Can you tell me, I mean, I think, let's talk a little bit about sweeps. Because, you know, like the text message you sent me really described how much of a setback this has been. Can you, can you just talk about sweeps, like how these, these sweeps have affected you? From what I understand, they're required to offer alternative housing options. And now... Alternative housing options could, could consist of like a tiny home or um, some other type of shelter or temporary uh, housing option. But um, since the end of like the huge pandemic, um, they stopped offering housing options for people, um, but they continued doing this or they started doing the sweeps again. Um, it was stopped for a long time, you know, because of COVID and stuff, but they started it up again. And I've had four or five spots swept now um, since, uh, since I think uh, we spoke last. Since you were at Lake Union. Yeah, yeah. And um, I lost, like, a lot of momentum as far as moving forward with, with my life and my plans because of of the sweeps you know like i have to prepare myself find us find another location to move to help out help not only myself but you know my other uh you know uh i don't know 
parking buddies or whatever you want to call them yeah. you know and my neighbors i have to help them too because we're we're a community you know and we rely on each other for stuff like that sometimes and so you know it's not like i just pack up my stuff and can just go i i feel an obligation um and a responsibility uh to them you know it in a way to try to help them get into a safe location as well so um that takes up like a lot of time and effort you know a lot of pe homeless people as you know have a lot of stuff you know and and it's hard to get them to get rid of it and i think that just comes from like you know not having very much so whatever you do have is so precious you know you gotta hold on to yeah and anything that you know that has a uh like something connected to their past they want to hold on to you know that reminds them of who they were once were and it it's a lot of psychological mind fuck when you're going through that because you you get somewhat stable and you feel like okay now i can start getting my life a little bit in order and just as you start to feel like things are coming together in the right place at the right time for you you find you get this orange sticker and and the, the, the crazy thing is, is like the outreach people, they only come around right before the sweeps. They come like as soon as you see one of those outreach people coming through with snacks and goodies, whatever. It's not a good thing, man. It's not. It's that, an, that means it's a harbinger. You're fucked. Of, you, yeah, you've, you know, that's yeah, that's the you messenger. Know what, you know what comes next. Yeah. And um, I, I come to associate these people that think they're doing good. Um, with a really, with a really negative thing in my mind, because, um, it's true. Whenever they start to come around, that's, I feel like the, in some way they have to be working with the cops, you know, to coordinate, you know, they, cause they know about all the spots that people park at and stuff. And I, and there are a small handful of people that aren't associated with them and that aren't involved in the sweeps, but a good portion of, of them are. And, uh. I I just like to really stress to people that if you see those people coming around, you know, be be leery because uh, they're probably not there to help you. They're probably there to help themselves and get rid of you, you know. And um, I lost a lot, you know, thousands of dollars in art supplies, um, canvas, paintings, you know. Um, I lost everything that I owned of my father's, you know, after he died. I've lost two vehicles yeah it's just been really hard trying to restart over and over and over again is it's hard to get any, anywhere and when you say it's it takes the wind out of your sails or kind of knocks you back down i mean i also want to say you were on a really beautiful upward climb i mean i know you were near death right with medical conditions and and addiction and you're you were moving through all of that and actually feeling like you were you were about to make some big strides yeah i felt like i was overcoming you know some some of my lifelong struggles you know um for once in my life like i felt like i was going somewhere and and then just to have it all thrown out of whack all over again is just kind of disorienting i'm starting to get my footing again but you know, it's just a matter of time before they sweep again. And 
Now, mind you, I, I, every time that I have been swept, I specifically, I'm one of the first people that comes out and says, hey, I need help. Like, I want somewhere to go. I don't want this lifestyle anymore. And like, I need to do something. And I know that. And so I, I'm, I'm asking for help. You're, you're trying to give it, but I'm not seeing results. You know, I have yet to talk to anybody about coordinating any sort of uh, housing options. So today, can you walk me through this process of, you know, disconnection with regards to getting you help? So let's, let's I want to set the table a little bit here by saying you've got a spot just before it's being swept. Help comes, they offer help. Uh, they say, hey, Danae, we're with uh, some organization. We want to see if we can get you some help. You tell them you want to get inside. What happens? Why does that not go somewhere? Do they not have the, they say the that, housing or? Well, that's the thing is they say that, yeah, we've got, we've got a couple, couple options for you. We've got uh, two hot, tiny homes open in one open in West Seattle and the other one, Capitol Hill, I think. And uh, we have uh, group shelters. And I was like, okay, and well, that's it. I don't feel comfortable being in a group shelter. And I feel like, like that's an unsafe environment for me and from, for the, what I have, what little I do have, I can't have there. And, and people that don't know really a lot about group shelters, can you explain why it's an unsafe situation for you? Um, being a small female on my own, it, it's just dangerous in general, but with my health, you know, um, cause, uh, as you know, I had, my kidneys were shutting, shutting down about two years ago, three, two or three years ago, something like that. And I was in really bad condition. Now my health has improved significantly, but I still am at risk of like any sort of infection or anything like that, um, can blow up to be a huge deal for me because that's what my kidney problems came from originally was, and was continued exposure to infection. Do, you know, as a result of like my heroin uh, use. And there's a lot of people that have like nasty infections. I mean, I'm sure you've seen people with the zombie legs and stuff like that. It's yep. scary. Yeah. You know, if I get something like that, that could potentially put me in a position where I end up on dialysis, you know, and I, I'd rather not. Yep. And you're still off of your heroin addiction. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. It, thank you. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's really been awesome, actually. <laughs> you look great, too. I mean, you, your whole persona has just grown, right, since those times. Um, it's pretty beautiful to see. Yeah, it's really nice that, um, that I get to experience life, like, without, um, without the nod <laughs> or the infections or the pain or any of the struggles of being an addict anymore, you know? It's been a huge blessing to me. So you're you're not even on methadone now. No, you're just completely free. Yeah. Okay, I got to give you a high five. Yeah. On it. that is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's been really great. It um, kind of goes along with this feeling I've had about you since I met you is that this is a young woman that can do anything she wants. I really believe that. Um, you know, and you're proving it. Thank you. Yeah. So the group shelter. You know, I've heard that from lots of people. Mm -hmm. It's 
there are there are there's a long list of why people don't go into group shelters what about the tiny homes what what's not working for you in that i actually wouldn't mind a tiny home but every time that they come and do the sweeps they only have one or two tiny homes available and those get and i i was the first person in line on three separate occasions and still somehow didn't end up with any sort of you know uh tiny home or anything like that so i don't know what is going on i think people are just like over promising like they've got too many people and not enough resources yeah. it's like musical chairs yeah there's 12 people in four chairs i mean if there's not enough resources and too many people are trying to coordinate it just doesn't work and that's what i and i've seen i know that they're having a hard time figuring out how to deal with the homeless i know they are okay you can tell uh, there's been a lot of careless uh or progressive thinking people um in and government uh late you know state government or whatever city city council whatever um lately and um the i don't know how i feel about that i don't think it's a very um it's not a very well thought out plan you know the the approach they're taking is not it doesn't work it's not going to work you know um right now things are really bad in seattle and i don't see things getting any better anytime soon in the interim while looking for solutions and finding that person or or group of people leaders that can use that money wisely are sweeps are in, in, under any kind of view are sweeps acceptable i mean d- does it make sense in any way or do you believe if, like if you were mayor for the day would you just stop sweeps completely i wouldn't stop them completely because i know things get out of control like there was a safe parking lot at one point and that got out of control you know but if it was like more more controlled like the tiny homes you know it could be a good thing like i know tons of people that go out and they siphon gas and steal fucking tires off people's cars and they just do that to be able to move you know and so so, so you know billy bob joe fred wakes up in the morning and his tires are gone you know and he can't get to work and he gets fired and now he can't feed his fucking kids or whatever and that's just because this broke person needs a way to move their vehicle you know because of the 72 hour rule yeah and if they don't move it they lose everything they own once it goes into lincoln towing it's screwed you know you're you're never going to see anything that a value or that you know you you held dear to you in your home again because people break in there all the time you know yeah and and it becomes instantly unaffordable to get it back yeah i mean yeah. you're looking at, i think right at the first day you're in the 4 or $500 range and then it goes up yeah every day right? and there's some programs that help people get their vehicles back but like realistically to me that just seems redundant and kind of kind of stupid honestly because you're taking people's homes but then you're going to put a program out there that's going to pay to give those homes back So you're just trying to make that person's life inconvenient and to fuck up any sort of like good thing they have just to hurt them is what it seems like to me. 
because if if you're gonna give it back anyways then just don't take it yeah what did it accomplish yeah aside from uh, you know displacing somebody and and moving the chaos and and that's what it's all about i feel like is like they just want the chaos to continue you know like they like everybody's just been so like complacent about things because they don't know what to do right that's the thing that really ticks me off about it is you can't go to an encampment full of 20 or more people and say i've got two houses two houses for the whole lot of you we're gonna do a drawing you know draw straws and the rest of you scatter yeah yeah and uh yeah good luck getting your homes out of here in time because we got tow trucks on the way you know sorry about your luck bud you you drew the wrong straw like that's not that's not cool man on that note like what is the heart of the problem like at the very at the very essence of it what what's not working in our society because because clearly right it, it feels like a round peg in a square hole something's not it's it's not for lack of wanting i mean i think if you look at all of community nobody wants people to be suffering outside but something there is a disconnect like something's not quite right what what is it i think it stems from like from early childhood and like abuse whether it be physical mental uh you know emotional sexual it doesn't matter abuse in general makes for a broken person you know and that broken person will go through their life harming other people around them just to feel satisfied that they're not the only one suffering i don't know a single female that's homeless that hasn't been sexually abused during their childhood as a matter of fact i don't know i i'd say probably 75 to maybe 85 percent of the men that i know that are homeless have been through the same thing when you think about that it doesn't sound real to somebody who's never been through that but it is it's a very prominent problem and it's not a lot of times it's shoved under the rug although lily and danae's life story are each unique as all of our stories are their shared experiences around the trauma of having been swept is not unique. Far from it. In some form, sweeps have traumatized every person having been swept. I just came into this situation because I was an in-home nurse. And I was, you know, I lived there free per se, you know, but I was taking care of a client. And you were inside. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so I didn't have to worry about, you know, housing. I had a ha- home. But she passed away by old age. And, of course, you know, all that decided, you know, <laughs> all the free home goes with it, you know. Yep. So uh, I ended up homeless because I don't make enough for housing, you know. And so it's really, really hard. Yeah. This is Kimberly. At the time... She was living in a tent by Green Lake, facing a scheduled sweep that was just a few days away. I grew up in Grage River, Washington. It's uh, up by Astoria 
If you blink, you miss it. <laughs> because when I used to live there, it hardly any homes. There was all cattle. I was I was severely abused and and molested, and you know all all the gory stuff you know that happens to a child, per se, happened to me. But I was a single mother raising three children. I had uh, two s severe strokes when I was 26 weeks pregnant with my second child. So it's kind of like I had to deal with a lot of issues. You, you know, I've only met you a handful of times, right? But every time I see you, you're like a really upbeat person. Is that true? I mean, you're, I mean, I, you, I, uh, you, have, I, good I you have good positive energy. Yeah, I try. I mean, because life, life is only given to you one time. Yeah. You know, and you have to you have to take it as you you can, you know, and I'd rather be positive than negative. So uh, I am an upbeat person and there's day, there's days that uh, that I'm not because um I'm dealing with cancer. Um I'm dealing with a spinal, spinal stenosis. You know, there's things that I'm I have to cope with. So there's days that I'm just a royal, <laughs> you know. What kind of cancer are you dealing with? Um, I had kidney cancer. They took my uh, my left kidney and esophagus cancer. And it had to do with that acid reflux medication. I want us to pause for a moment to reflect on what we have heard so far from Lily, Danae, and Kimberly. Each is on a journey of trying to move their life forward up and over obstacles with whatever available means are at hand. It should sound familiar because it's what we're all trying to do with our lives. There are no exceptions to this. We are all trying to do the best we can. Now the easy assumption or judgment is that folks who are not producing or not moving ahead in life based on society standards are lazy or they don't care and they choose homelessness. The truth is that every person does care and does want their life to be the best it can. We know this because with the zillions of decisions we all face every day, we all choose what we think is the best for us at that moment. Nobody purposely chooses to make their life harder or to bring more suffering upon themselves. What makes it complicated to understand when considering another person's journey is that each of us have differing available options for moving forward. For those suffering from trauma, this list of available options becomes very small. I asked Kimberly what she wanted you, the listener, to know about her situation. So it's like, I'm not homeless because I, I'm irresponsible or a major drug addict. I mean, I understand there's a lot of people here that have mental issues, physical issues, struggles with things but these other uh, people out here that gripe about stuff that oh i want my park back i was appalled when i seen these fluorescent pink post boards stuck on these signs down there stating that we're polluting the the lake we're we're destroying this and destroying that and i'm like they're 
they're segregating us and not knowing the facts and the reasons why these people are here. I mean, I'm here because I can't afford the rent. I'm on SSI now because I have cancer and I, I have spinal stenosis. So I can't work anymore. I can't afford the rent here. It's impossible. We even with two incomes that are the same amount, we still can't afford it. It's impossible. It's gotten crazy. It's so bad because everything is going up. So that's why we're in this predicament. That's why a lot of it. I mean, there's people here that work daily, goes to, goes to their job, but they don't make enough to live in a home. I mean, there's people that have issues that they can't, they, 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 they struggle. And they end up doing, you know, drugs and stuff like that. To, yeah, to cope, cope and get with, by. Yeah, to cope, you know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cycle, you know. And the, and the people that don't know that and they already put their two cents into it and not wanting to understand the situation. But then I understand what they're going through too because they need to pick up their thing. They need not leave needles around. They need to make sure that their surroundings are very proper and nice and, and, you know, contained. make it containable, not gross and bringing a whole bunch of garbage away. I understand their views because they see that, and, and but that's the only thing they see. They don't see other reasonings. They don't understand the reasonings why. You know, they just take it out of out of, out of uh, concept and just goes forth. You know, and that's what pisses me off. Find out the reasonings why instead of already just putting up. You know, knowing you don't know. You know, and then is it? Is it I understand both both things. Is that I understand what they're what they see. And I understand what they see. A couple of these people, they can't get a job because they screwed up when they were younger and got felonies. Well, because of that reasoning, and they want to better their lives and, and carry on, they can't because they, of course, they screwed up. Yeah, it's a but monkey. Now, and now they can't get something because it's on their record. So, of course, now because they're, they can't do it, it's a mental trip, it's a depression because I can't, succeed in life because they won't give me a chance so then they're going to be depressed and there's a cycle it's a predictable path if you take somebody's uh, ability to move forward away what do you expect exactly what do you expect and of course these people don't see that fortunately there are those that do see past the stereotypes and have banded together to form mutual aid groups to help their fellow neighbors they see the inequality and the broken systems around us and are trying to develop grassroots networks of people helping people. One such group is Stop the Sweep Seattle. I had a chance to sit down with two members of the group to discuss how they see the situation and what motivates them to help. Both folks you hear wish to remain anonymous. It's one of those things that people in, in Stop the Sweeps always say, when you go to one sweep, and it hits you, you can't stop going. I don't think I knew what sweeps were prior to actually going to one. I don't even remember how I got involved. I just remember someone being like, this big thing's happening. I live down the street in my micro studio. I was like, okay, let me see how it was. And just the violence of the police, like 30, 40 bike cops, you know, racing through Ballard Commons, um, harassing people. People were just waking up. They seemed really out of it. 
Um, but I remember nobody brought food or anything. It was just like these people who I just kind of met up with um, had brought some like water. Some friends had brought harm reduction supplies because they were going there regularly. Once I had gone to one, I don't know, I got hooked up with some people through like different messaging apps and I just started continuously going to them. Um, but it wasn't until like February of this year where I actually like hooked up with Stop the Sweeps as like semi-organized kind of situation um uh to actually start going to sweeps in a more organized way and it's just yeah it's something that you can't really stop doing once you're you you recognize you can't the, you can't unsee it people don't even bring water on the hottest days service providers don't do it the cops definitely aren't doing it that was like that's the most important thing we should be doing for each other is like taking care of our, our most basic needs even if we don't know how to like deal with the context of it because i had no idea how often we did sweeps when we first happened i thought that was like a major deal like the city was sweeping this was like all alerts and then i find out they're doing it every day every other day like and that was when it was in a, a dip under during the pandemic under durkin when they were doing it less regularly because than of, usual yeah, because of covid yeah because of covid they had stopped doing it kind of but we're still doing it so i couldn't even imagine that this was happening in the background of the city that i would like go clubbing in you know that they were happening even more regularly and so you know since like february of this year i've been like very heavily organ like in involved in organizing um to to support folks um because yeah i do see the impact in the people that we talk to even if we never see them again um, I think mm. even in that moment, it matters. I don't think it's going to solve homelessness, but I do think it alleviates despair just a little bit in that moment to be like a human being is looking at me and seeing me and not just trying to throw me away. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think there's two sides to it. One is the effect that humanizing has for the person that has been dehumanized mm -hmm. and humanizing also as an, the effect that it has on people who are dehumanizing others. Mm -hmm. Both sides. It's important for both sides. Right. Because because I think without if we keep if we keep dehumanizing, people just aren't going to get mm -hmm. involved that. I mean, that's what we do mm -hmm. for all wars. Right. We first before we attack a country, we dehumanize them, you know, and then and then we all feel OK about it for some bizarre reason. Um, I'm a first generation immigrant, although I did uh, grow up in the States from a very young age. And so I grew up in like this whole like. Oh, the United States, you know, the roads are, roads are paved in gold and this is like land of the free and, and all of that. So I grew up believing like, oh yeah, I could finally vote and this, you know, I'm doing my part and, you know, this is all that I have to do. And I'm, I'm obviously learning in the last several years at least that um, you cannot depend on the government. You cannot depend on nonprofits. You cannot depend on foundations. It's because they essentially are rooted from um, they're rooted from the bottom line of like uh, money, uh, status, whatever it is. So, OK, yes, you got to vote. You got to like choose your lesser evil, which really sucks. Right. And it's a it's a fucked up system that um, I really am just so um, it sucks. And I, it just enrages me that this is this is like here's your choices and we're so screwed now fucking biden we're like oh yay get fucking trump out of there and now all the fucking libs are like okay my work is done and we're it it still sucks it's still terrible he's gonna add another hundred thousand cops across the country or is it even oh million yeah it's good i be, don't know yeah. too many <laughs> too many so but i guess i say that because um 
I guess I myself have been identifying more in that realm where I'm like, this is not sustainable. I have always tried to look at whatever government programs, whatever, not like to try and scramble some type of resources for people I've been working with. And it's not fucking enough. There's so many churches, there's so many service providers. Why is it that there's so many out there, but yet here we are? And it's not, it's just not the answer. I, I say that because, um, I mean, we're here trying to connect with people who are being displaced, who are going through just the layers of trauma of like just trying to survive on the streets. And I see the complicity that I know I have fallen into for many years because I'm like, oh, well, I'm doing my part and, you know, oh, well, they don't want to take, you know, they don't want to do what they're supposed to do. And I just see how all our institutions are essentially built to just make sure that you comply and just sort of fit within your cog of the wheel so that you could... Um, be your worker bee, churn out your, you know, product for the company, things like that. So, um, I, I don't know how we start to try to impact that, but I do agree that community is the key to start there. And more people have to be fucking angry. More people have to wake up and pay attention. Um, instead of like, turning their noses at people who are living and, and just thinking they're all fucking drug addicts. They're all, you know, just losers and criminals. Mm -hmm. um, that, that is what, when, when we're there and people are getting displaced and then we come upon those people who think, you know, for fun, they should gawk and take pictures and think, oh yeah, this is great. It's really, it, it's, you really start feeling like, wow, the human race sucks some the human some race yeah it, it just really makes you feel like wow we've lost our humanity it's really like dire and how can we try to to try to break out of that whole like well i just want my piece of the pie right i just want my piece of the pie and i'm just gonna you know take care of just my own and not realize how how more of a community makes us safer right like people think oh these sweeps that's what we need to do because you know it's going to help our community be safer but in actuality it doesn't it causes more violence it cause it mm -hmm. it really um it it makes the community less safe and people don't realize that because they think oh yeah it's all cleaned up and i don't see all the garbage or anything yeah, pushed to another and, neighborhood yeah it's just shoved and swept under the rug and um i think for us as a group I mean, we're there as like trying to, again, you know, pick up the pieces and try to help those folks who are still left standing or have, you know, salvage whatever belongings they want. But how can we push against this system? And I think we do realize, right, we do realize that there has to be some part as far as working with, I don't know if it's the powers that be, um, or at least some of the service providers who do have at least more maybe say or impact or whatnot, but um, I think that's sort of where we're at as a group, trying to figure that out. For us in Stop the Sweeps, 
we we basically follow the lead of what people want to do and consent is really important right mm-hmm. um if a person does not want to take any of the offers that either hope is giving which is essentially just like a shelter bed or like a tiny house village which it's a shed i mean that's a shed i mean i i hear that from service providers well, they don't want to take what I have to offer, so you know it's their fault, and you know. Yeah. As, a, as opposed to saying, "Hmm, maybe what I'm offering isn't the right thing for this exactly. person." Exactly. Like, I guess me having been a social worker, I see how the mentality of like, if they are not conforming to what we want them to do, to work within our system here and what we are providing them, then. Well, too bad. You know, we go out there because we see that there is there is a need that's not being fulfilled by service providers, by by the government. We're essentially picking up the pieces of those people that are either falling through the cracks or, you know, they don't want to stay in a shelter to get bed bugs, to be assaulted and harassed and belongings to be stolen or like they can only bring two bags in or they have to split from their partner and so we're yeah so we are yeah picking up the pieces for every person that's outside not in shelter you'll find a reason for why they don't want to be in shelter right like i mean it's not like people just say oh i don't want to go into a shelter because i'm what i don't know I, i love suffering Mm -hmm. they are saying no because they have a very profound reason to be outside in the winter when it's cold as hell. Yeah, you've you've got to think about what they're. Yes, like why can't you switch that thinking of like there's got to be something majorly messed up with my offers if this person is choosing this because everyone's like, well, no one should live like that, and it's like, well, yeah, no shit. Why do you feel you know why is it that they would prefer to live outside here exactly. instead of this? I guess shelter and hand shelter, even the enhanced shelter is not mm-hmm. something that people want. And so, you know, we're, we're forcing people to fit within this, like the square box, even though it doesn't fit for them. And so, but we blame them. And so I feel like our group, you know, we're there to, yes, not only meet people where they're at, because it's like, hey, we're here to help you and what you want to do. But obviously, ensure that they, you know, if they want to talk to any of the service providers that are there, and make sure that they, you know, have that that opportunity. And if not, we're, we're there to, you know, just, I guess, pick up the pieces, because these are the folks that um, fall through the cracks. Yeah, you said something about, like, it's interesting when you said we follow their lead. And I think that that's um, where I keep thinking back to, like, radical action. It's like, in in the problem itself is the explanation of why it exists. Like, when we talk about the indication, the fact alone that people sleep outside should tell you that shelter isn't adequate. The fact that, like, they we 
so many people work backwards and say that clearly sleeping outside is so easy that they must be turning um, down so many good offers doesn't that's where I feel like the context is missing because especially after spending the night out on Fourth Avenue I feel like even if I were felt unsafe I might go to a shelter like that was a really hard yeah. thing to do You've so it's like you have to like realize like people the existence of people living straight up on the sidewalk tells you that the system is broken not because they could be choosing that but because we are providing such disgusting manipulative harmful alternatives that people are that that that's what they're resorting to i think that in itself explains the, the failures uh, of the shelter and the housing industry absolutely the the thing i always tell people is every human being in every nanosecond we all do this we pick the option that is best for us like in every second now it might not be the best option like somebody a ways away might say uh, that's not going to work out so well for you but but we all do this. Nobody purposely has two options and says, I'm going to pick this one because it's going to fuck me up, right? Like people, people try to pick the best. So if somebody is choosing to be on the street, it is telling exactly what you just said. They have already assessed that it is a better option for them to be on the street than to be in the options that are being afforded me through the health, uh, through the uh, housing system. I remember moving a 55-year-old man with neuropathy mm -hmm. and he didn't want to take a shelter because he needed to conform to their rules and and not be actively using and so you know here I am helping someone relocate with dead rats on the ground and I was just like what the fuck is happening here how in this country yeah. are is this fucking happening it just like really yeah fucked me up and I think that's why you know, a lot of us continue to do this and show up because we see like this is so utterly fucked up. Yeah. And that this is just so wrong of why. And um, I'm not saying that we have the answer to, you know, answering that why, but um, it's just so messed up. And I think um, recently it's just been so hard with these sweeps where you just see the anguish of people being displaced. And um, there's, you know, there's just simply no reason for this in the, one of the most affluent cities in the world. Just simply no reason yeah. for this. And I think that's why I at least am called to this because um, I'm just done fucking turning away. I'm done fucking like living in a bubble. I'm done not doing something. And whether it's just simply, you know, helping someone uh, salvage as, as much of their belongings and they're like, oh my God, thank you so much. I can't believe, you know, like, I mean, not that I need that thanks. It's just, you know, it's just like fucking being human, you know, it's just having some humanity. And we unfortunately, cannot fight against armed police that show up at every sweep to protect the fucking park workers. Like, it's just kind of ridiculous to see this, that they're there to protect them. Um, and so, um, and unfortunately, because of that, that's why you have a lot of people that will not take, uh, talk to any of the service providers either, because they're like, the cops are here, I can't stay. Like it really causes the 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 
the more chaos. I mean, they just, you know, it, it's, it's part of the barrier that the city is intentionally putting out there with the police, with parks. It's just um, ridiculous that people don't see that. They don't see that. And they just see like, oh, well, they just don't want the help. Bullshit. They just don't want to be intimidated and threatened by police. And they do want the outreach. They do want the services. They do want connection. But when they see seven cops approaching, it scares people and they don't want to stay. We have to imagine because we are so mm -hmm. stuck within like only what we know in this society. And all we know is like, oh, the government can help or these nonprofits or, you know, whatnot. So we have to really imagine. And I think that's part of the beauty of abolition that, you know, if we don't imagine, then, you know, that's that's our, our biggest barrier. So I so guess what, what I see, I yeah. guess what I imagine is that from the very beginning, that every single family has enough of what they need as far as just uh, just being able to thrive, yeah. whether it's uh, uh, housing security, food security, um, uh, job opportunities that are not going to bog them down, but the ability to also live a life of like creativity and 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 freedom and connection to community and not just working or like grind of you know, to pay the bills. So I guess I imagine that we live in a society where we are all connected, where we know our neighbors, where we know each other, where we um, can help each other in addressing harms. I mean, look right here, we've got these families and these kids who are just playing and just living. And, and I guess what I want is just a community where we don't have to fight each other for the scraps of what we're thrown, yeah. right? We don't fight each other for that. And we realize that I don't need to, you know, hoard all this stuff because I know community is going to help me as well. And I don't need to hoard all this money or this food just for me or my family. And that, you know, we're all in this together. And I feel like starting from that and that route, we're, we're going to ward off just the societal ills that we're seeing right now, right? Um, we see that crime, I guess crime in quotations, when you have a community that cares for each other, then you don't have as much crime. <laughs> you, you know, when we, when we care for each other, when we can, and, and address those harms instead of just like sweeping them under the rug or just saying, oh, somebody just needs to go to jail. I guess is sort of maybe what I'm envisioning, envisioning. And I feel like part of me, I'm like, that doesn't seem like a big ask, right? It doesn't, but it, why is that so, so hard? It's because of the fact that we are pitted against each other for the scraps that were thrown, that uh, we need to always buy, buy, buy this next great thing. You know, you're only worth what you, you know, your ho the house you live in or the clothes you wear or the car you drive. And so I guess my hope is that I imagine a, a society that we do not live within that and we are all happy <laughs> with, you know, what we have and that it is enough. We're not like in this materialistic world. And I know that's like, that's digging deep. I had friends all around. 
Nobody wants to be on themselves on the homeless. You know, they want to be around around people. Yeah, I actually never heard it said that way, and it makes sense, right? Like you're outside struggling, and you you don't want to be alone during that. You want to be around people. Yeah, homeless sucks. Tough. It's hard. I don't know what else to say. This is a young gentleman that goes by the street name Q. Lily introduced him to me a few weeks ago after the Aurora sweep, the one Lily spoke of earlier in the episode. I wanted to get a better idea of the community that existed there before it was dismantled and how it affected the folks who were displaced. Now, I want to give some quick background for context. Q worked as a union roofer. He fell into homelessness after the double setback of a divorce and losing his job. At work, he had been unable to attend the necessary classes that his employer required of him to take. Currently, his injuries are preventing him from maintaining a solid job, and since COVID arrived, he has had a hard time getting back on track. He's been homeless for about two and a half years. Yeah. And was the, was the community, in your, in your opinion, was it functioning as a community? Yeah. It was people, yeah. It was actually thriving. It was a neighborhood, you know? Different divorce people coming together. Like, it was cool. We'd always help each other out. That's what the main thing was. Yeah. How how many people do you think were living in that? It was a long, it was a long corridor there. Yeah, it was like... How many least, people would you guess? At least 100. Maybe a little less. Third told us all to leave. It was a lot. It was a row of RVs like there. And tents and houses that we built, mini homes. Like, we built our own mini homes and they didn't say nothing. Like, that land's unincorporated and they took it. They, took, they kicked us off. It wasn't even sheriffs that kicked us off. It was cops that came and kicked us off. Yeah. So you lived in a year in uh, in a tent yeah. in this in this village. Yeah. Can you describe um, the feeling of living in a village? It was, it was cool. It's fun. You get together and solve problems, kind of. Try to. So people uh, would help other people with solving problems such as? Food, clothing, help housing. I mean, just like help with tents and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. Like it was like it, it was cool. Nobody really stole from each other or not. And it was good. And then police came and slept us and told us all to leave. And after we had made homes for that long, like a long time. Been there a long time, you know. And then people got to come tell us to leave and, and tell our shit. Stuff. I don't know why. So where are you staying? I don't know. Like I'm just like there's a, there's a camp over there. I'll be staying at. There's a, a a Catholic guy bought me a hotel room. That was cool for a second for like three days. And um, yeah, I don't know yet. I'm what just, about your girlfriend? Is she with you? Yeah, she's like there with me, whole time. Everything I'm explaining, which is crazy, and I like. I can't really work, but I try. It hurts, like, to work. Like, it hurts my neck, hurts my legs now. So I, I just hate, I don't like hurting, and it hurts. How, how old are you? I'm 32. 32. Yep. And d did you grow up in the Seattle area? Yeah. I, did you graduate from high school? Yep. Sure did. What, what was in the RV that, that you lost? Everything, all my clothes, everything. So you just, you have nothing now? Uh-uh. I have a backpack. Backpack full of a little bit of my tools. <laughs> That's about it. Tools to work on cars? Yeah. 
Right. So you you've got a skill on uh, as a mechanic in that way. I like it. I enjoy it. It's kind of fun. Trying to make things go and then riding them when you do, or driving them when you do, get them going. Right. Yeah. It's a sense of accomplishment. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. But really, it's just a sense of you get to use it. No. Yeah. It's practical too. Yeah. Very practical. And needs to, it always happens. Always mechanical problems always happen. So. You're 32. You've got a backpack, a girlfriend. What and next? I'm sure. Uh, try to get money to get money. <laughs> I don't know. Just live life. Are you, are you going to look for another village? Are you going to, I mean, because rent, it'd be pretty tough to pay rent. Well, I mean, yeah, for, yeah. if I get my disability check, maybe I can do that, but build another village would be cool. I mean, just because, I mean, I just don't know where. Yeah. I feel like I built that one. No, they tore it down twice. Tell me what's beautiful that, that maybe people that are home, that are in homes wouldn't see the beauty that you see. What, what do you see when you're living there? Well, I don't know about it. I mean, I don't know about other places, but there we were trying to build and establish the spots, you know, make homes. And, like, tell me some of the little nuances that are beautiful of living there. Like, like what made it, what made it a place that you wanted to be? The freedom. We used to come and go, talk to people. They'd come. The freedom. Just coming and going. Talking to people was always fun. Did you feel loved there? I mean, yeah, yeah, nice people. I mean, there's nice people in Seattle. We're all nice. But really, if you give faith to humanity, you might be good. You don't judge. It probably looks. We're all cool. Help. You know? Don't judge by the looks. For sure. Can, if, you know, a lot of people that are living in homes are going to listen to this. What should people know about sweeps? It's cops are ruthless. They're, and the cops in the city, they're, just, they're ruthless. They're going to have their way no matter what. And they take everything from you. And the sweeps are, I don't know why they're doing them exactly, just to, when they should be giving out housing or helping instead of sweeping and telling them to get out. You know, like, what are you going to tell us to get out to? We're already homeless. Like, where, where are we, we going to go, guys? <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like, yeah, sweeps, they just, they just want to put people in jail, maybe. Maybe that's what it is somehow. I'm not sure. But it's like they sweep us to the left and to the right. It's not like we're going anywhere, really, because we got nowhere to go. Mm. And you don't, I don't know. Sweeps are no good. They may make you guys look, may look better when you're walking around, looking around, maybe, but it affects people's lives. Tough. Just so you guys could appreciate the landscape or whatnot. Oh, so you guys just have a good view. You guys don't like what you see or something just because of stereotypical habits i don't know what what makes people think things should be a certain way yeah clean it up make it go out of sight out of mind type stuff yeah clean it up is, is just what they're worried about they just don't want to, anything that looks dirty there which is an opinion right because to you that that village was beautiful yeah it was thriving it was cool it's coming up it was a good neighborhood call village neighborhood whatever you want how has this affected you emotionally Oh, it's devastating. It sucks. I have nowhere to go and nothing to do. I mean, I look forward to. I don't know. I don't know where to go. It sucks. I'm trying to figure it out. But then it separates all the friends that I had down there, too. So now we don't have no spot to come hang out and meet up or, you know, a reason to come together. We have no reason to come together now. It's kind of hard.
Where did everybody go? Just scattered? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure. And, and do you have a cell phone? Yeah, I just got one. I mean, I do, but I mean, they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, homeless is just a title. I mean, it's really just like... Yeah, if you stay up, stay busy all day, it's not like you're homeless. You're doing stuff all day. Every time you go to sleep, when it sucks. I left my conversation with Q, asking myself, what would I do if I was in his shoes? If I was really living his life and his available options? How would I know which direction I should go or even what my next steps should be? One of my favorite expressions is, fell off the horse nine times, got back on ten. But if I was in Q's situation, would I be able to get back on that horse? One of the very good friends I've made getting to know folks living outside is Dizzy. You might remember him from the You Know Me Now episode titled Being Dizzy. If you haven't listened to it, please check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. Dizzy has been chronically homeless for many years and has experienced a great deal. Through it all, he has managed to stay thoughtful and positive, and I really value his opinions on these difficult topics. So, Dizzy, we've had lots of conversations, and I know you, you always, you do, a, I, in my opinion, you do this good job of balancing the discussion by, well, there's this side, but then there's also this side. And when, well, yeah, there always is, you know. You can't just be for uh, letting homeless people just run amok and, and be where they want to be uh, and do whatever they want to do because a lot of homeless people are fucked up individuals. <laughs> and uh, But a lot of them aren't, you know. Uh, As there are fucked up individuals living inside. Yeah, 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 kinda, yeah, yeah. Kind of the same. Yeah. Fucked up homeless people poop on the sidewalk and fucked up individual people poop in their toilet. <laughs> One of the differences. <laughs> what? So, so like, let's, let's I personally have never pooped on a sidewalk. <laughs> Good to know. Um, so what, what do you do about what you just said that there has to be some r- rule, rules about where people can live and can't? And how, how do you define that? Because you also said in the same breath earlier that everyone needs a place to live. Yeah. How do you, um, how do you define that? You know, I don't know. I, I know that if, if, this is probably why I'll never have a bunch of money. If I had money like, say, a Bill Gates or something like that, I would just buy a big ass building and jump, let people live in it, you know? A couple simple rules. But then, you know, there's still going to be even people that break those rules. They can't even live at the, the free place, you know? And, and, uh, I mean, eventually with some people, some people, and not, not a huge quantity of them at all, you know? You know, and I hate to say this because, you say something like this and there's people that are just fully ready to just jump on the bag wagon and do it to everybody. But some homeless people do need to be institutionalized. They're just not going to fit in anywhere. They're just, I don't know if they're mentally ill or, you know, a lot of times it has to do with addiction, you know, which is a mental illness. But, um, yeah, it's really tough, you know. It's really tough. I just, I think it's weird, you know, that some, some people just have so much and some people have nothing, you know. Yeah. It's just so. It's unconscionable. I don't, I don't understand it. Yeah, and it, like, uh, okay, in Seattle, we have our homeless problem, you know, but like in the 90s, there were homeless people, but you could still get a place to live for four or six hundred bucks, you know, a room somewhere, uh, uh, in a house or, 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 or like some shitty little studio apartment, you know, for somewhere between 
four and eight hundred bucks, yeah. you know? Basement, basement apartment type. Yeah, or thing. something, you know, or something, you know. But like the place that uh the place on Capitol Hill where I used to me and uh, a guy used to pay six hundred bucks a month for this two bedroom and we'd rent out this this one hall closet was so big that we'd rent that out for like a hundred bucks, you know, to, to whoever, you know. Uh what, what year that was... apartment now is like three thousand dollars a month. Yeah. What what year was it when it was that was like uh that was like uh ninety two. Yeah. But I mean, it's it stayed that way for it got renovated. I think around two thousand or something, you know, and just rents jacked up, you know. So dizzy, what should the city do, right? Like they're stuck in this rock and hard spot of businesses and neighborhoods saying, "Get this out of the out of my face." Another thing and, I don't understand is how okay, there's like how many homeless people in Seattle? Do you remember what the last count was or something, roughly? I always, to be honest, I mix up the Seattle and King County uh, counts. But, well, either but, one. But, but, so King County, I think it was like 40,000 people. Okay, 40,000 people. And they'll put $40 million at the pro- in the problem. It seems if you took those 40,000 people and divided that $40 million between them, they could all get a place to live. Yeah. But they can't solve it with forty million, with however many millions of dollars. And like when you hear the, the, the amount that they put into it, it's like, there's no way you can't get a place for all these people with that money. Yeah. You know, and it all, I guess it's all going to bureaucracy or, you know. Some of it, but also, as you also know, the, the issue is more complicated than just housing. There's addiction, there's mental health, yeah. there's, you know, crime, there's, it, there's just a whole gambit of, I, I, of I, issues I am, that I take money. I am kind money. of for the housing first concept, though. Yep. Uh, I, and, but there has to be, I guess, some limit, you know, like, okay, let's say we do housing first and everybody gets housed. There's people that are going to get kicked out of that. There's people that are going to leave that. There's people that are still going to end up homeless. Even if you house everybody, there's still people that are going to end up homeless one way or another. You know? And what do you do then? So back to the question of the city is pretty aggressively sweeping right now. Are they? Under the mayor, new mayor, right? They're, they're really... Uh, I, I actually just... This, this, uh, and what are they doing with those people? Well, it's the same as you said earlier. They're promising to get them into housing, but then a small amount go into housing. Yeah. So the question is, you know, for the city, do I know that you can't just say black and white, sweeps or no sweeps. I know it's complicated, but but what do you do? You know, because the other thing about sweeps, which which we know is People are finding these tucked away places to set up villages. Mm-hmm. Um, the one on Aurora and 125th that just got swept, super tucked away between an embankment and a auto uh, parts a homeless, junkyard. It was a homeless camp, yeah. It was a homeless camp, and it got swept, and and it was super out of the way, right? Just off Aurora, 125th. It must have been a nuisance to somebody, though, for them to even find out about it. Absolutely, I'm sure that's true. But but the question is. Do you sweep or don't you sweep? And 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 one of the issues I could see that you could say you could take a stand on, not saying it's right, yeah, but yeah, yeah. you could take a stand and say, hey, no sweeps, and where the where the villages are, we are going to take resources to help those people. We're going to set up potty uh, Santa can yeah. types. Uh-huh. We're going to provide garbage cans uh-huh. and. However, the business or the neighborhood's getting impacted, we're going to use funds to try to alleviate that impact until we can get all of these people housed. And, or also, you got to be Is able to. Is that a fair? Tell, I, it's somewhat fair, but you also have to tell the people, okay, we're going to do this. 
Here's your one. Here's a chance. You get one more strike. One more time of, of you fucking this up. And then the time after that, you're gone. And We're what sweeping is, you. Because, I mean, if, he, if, if, if they warned him and gave him a chance, look, you know, there's, there's syringes all over the place. There's crime going on here. Either police yourselves, you know, take care of the fuck-ups, or, or, or we're going to toss you out, you know, or, you know. I mean, and if they at least gave him a chance, you know, to, to, to clean it up. I mean, a lot of them would throw that away, but I'm sure there's some where some people would go, you know, I got my little thing here, and, and I really don't want to lose it, you know. And mm-hmm. what, Like you said, a a percentage will take it, but probably I would guess, like let's say you had 100 people at an encampment like that, maybe 25 could walk into housing and make it work. Uh, like that's a random guess, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I would say 75 would be in some state of being unable to actually act on any kind of hand up because, because it, the hand up isn't quite appropriate or exactly what they need in that moment like and or they'd act on it and then trade it for dope you know or whatever you know yeah so you gotta you gotta this you get this more than 50 percent of the people in that encampment that are not going to be able to fit i know of a place downtown where there's they, they they've, they've housed a bunch of homeless people there and uh a friend of mine at one time was a drug dealer there and so he was acquiring things as he would trade things for drugs and he ended up renting some another homeless person's apartment to store shit in you know and trade for drugs so they're they're taking there and then they're out on the street you know yeah because they've sold their apartment to a, a drug dealer yeah are we just always going to have this problem and it's always going to be like a like a shell game you're just kind of moving stuff around and a certain percentage i don't know have we always had this problem in one way or another yeah it's a good question you just said in the 90s we certainly didn't you know? Well, I mean, there were, there were homeless people, but we didn't have, like, the scale of this problem, but... No. I grew up here, and we never had this problem until Damn. probably starting 15, 20 years ago. The, the other side of this is that sweeps are hugely traumatic for people. They're really hurtful. And, and they're not free either. And they're not free. They're extremely uh, costly. On the Aurora sweep, I would guess there might have been 50 cops there. Yeah. They weren't there volunteering. Yeah, well, yeah. I wonder how many of them were on overtime. Well, I mean, I'd like down 300 officers right now, too, you know, so. Yeah. I wonder also, like, how differently we would view encampments if the city provided garbage and... Uh, Santa cans. Santa cans. I mean, I wonder if people would get... And, and uh, sharps containers. I wonder if the I wonder if people would get as upset and and make the phone calls, the constant calls to the city about needing to do something if in fact garbage, sharps containers and Santa cans were actually provided to those encampments. Right. I mean you could provide all that and uh people are, are if if they are in fact committing crime, if they're still committing crime to get their dope money, that's not gonna make any difference. You know, or if um now, there's this one place where I go to, and there's this woman there who's, um, she constantly asks me for a cigarette and, or something, some change or something. And, and I give it to her, but at first I would tell her no, but then I just, I just decided to have some compassion for her. But she's kind of messed up, you know, and, um, her face is usually dirty with a few, like, uh, sores on it. And I, uh, you know, that probably, there's probably some people who just are appalled by that who would complain, you know, um, I mean, she's really not hurting anybody but herself, but 
I don't know. I don't know. You know, these, these questions are like, I know this. Stupid microphone. I think you conscious about things. We're all here for such a short time. We really don't have time to be shitty to each other. It's gonna make me cry now, my friend. Yeah, it's, that's the, that's the honest truth. We don't have time to be shitty to each other. I think, I, th yeah, thank you for saying that. Okay, cut. I hate your guts. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I think the problem with sweeps, quite frankly, the problem with homelessness, it's, it's so fucking complex that it, it kind of defies standard solutions. And, and I think sometimes we forget that we need to set some, some bars, some lines in the sand that, that actually talk about what you just said. Like, okay, we don't know how to solve it. It is complex. People are complex. It was complex, complex before. It was but, chronic, but and now but, there's so much of it. Yep. But but we've. I think one of the things that we have to say is, throughout it, throughout searching for the solution, we can't be shitty to each other. You know, we got to hold a bar, a certain height of the bar that says, look, we might not be able to figure this out as quickly as we need or want to for everybody on both sides, but in the process, we can't be shitty to each other. Yeah, especially of us that have the privilege to not be shitty you know i mean like homeless people can be shitty too you know but a lot yeah. of times until like some kindness is visited upon them they don't even know they're being shitty they just think they're gr grappling with the world you know yep i've thought a lot about that with regards to being compassionate when you when you have so much extra it's easy to be compassionate like you can you can even get a little high and mighty on yourself by saying look how good i am yeah but will you be that good when you have your basic needs taken from you? Will you? Can you still be good? And I, th I think we have to all remember that is that privilege and resources allow you to be compassionate. And and I think thinking about that is important. You know, like do I need to do with all my privilege? Do I need to make you leave where you're setting up home and trying to survive? And I'm not saying that we should just let everybody be wherever yeah, they want. Yeah. But at the same time, not being shitty to each other, I think is a, is a really important line to hold. Yep. Until you walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, it's not as simple as say, get a job, bum. It's not that simple. Yeah. Okay, can I go now? <laughs> <laughs> Dizzy, I love you, buddy. Thanks for what sharing all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for joining us today. I want to end by leaving you with an interesting comment to ponder from former Seattle Mayor Mike McGinn, who said the following in the documentary film Trickle Downtown. You know, something really fundamental has happened that I don't get, um, which is, you know, if you look at any culture, human culture, for millennia and upon millennia, people were able to, where they lived, construct shelter out of the materials at hand to, to you know, take care of themselves. You know, whether it was a, you know, a, a peat and mud house in, you know, Ireland or, a, you know, or a teepee or made of mud or made of wood, whatever it was, you could do that. We've literally made that illegal 
in the city of Seattle. We've made that illegal across the country. You know, if you want to build something to shelter people, you have to get a permit, you got to follow the rules, you got to follow the code, you got to spend a lot of money. And we tell people, well, you can't do that. And, you know, you can only build so much housing in certain places. So how did we get to a point in our society where you can't build a house? Like, what's more human than that? You know, I don't know, friendship, companionship, food, you know? But this is what people do. We come together and we build communities, and that includes shelter. This is what we do. This is what we're genetically designed to do. And we've said, well, if you're not wealthy enough, if you, if you can't get a house like the one I'm sitting in right now, or if you can't get an apartment building that meets our criteria, not those dingy single-room occupancy hotels, but a, but a nice apartment building, you know, those are the ones we want. And a nice single family. If you can't build that and afford that, you can't have anything. That's what we've come to in our society. And that's a tremendous failure. That's a, that's a, it's a moral failure. It's a community failure. It's a political failure. But it's a failure at every level when we basically say, you don't deserve a place to live because you don't, you don't meet our standards. You Know Me Now podcast is produced, written, and edited by Tomas Bernatsky and me, Rex Holbein. We would like to give a big thank you to Lily, Danae, Kimberly, Q, and Dizzy, as well as the anonymous volunteers from Stop the Sweep Seattle Mutual Aid Group for taking the time to speak to us. You Know Me Now has a Facebook page where you can join the conversation and a website at www.youknowmenow.com where you can see photos and videos of the Aurora Sweep as well as put faces to the voices you heard today. Under the episode page, we included links to Seattle-based organizations and aid groups where you can get involved by volunteering your time and or donating needed supplies.